1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great
0: questions. And this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to
1: leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hello, leaders. This is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Constance Barnes with us. Now, watching her walk through the doors of the tiny Alabama Public Library several years ago and hearing her ninth grade history teacher, Mrs. June Shuri, shriek, you're a teacher, was one of the many milestones along the journey to leadership. At the time, she was actually the dean of students and assistant principal, which drove Mrs. Shuri into further hysterics. It all started on the heels of the Million Man March in 2005 with an inspiration to do something. Constance and her cousin formed a youth mentoring group in New York to offer cultural outings and exchanges for children in the inner city. Having befriended several educators, she came to a crossroads between a career in computer science and education and chose education, which has made all the difference. Constance's first experience in public education was in a self-contained special education closet, which propelled her desire to move outside of the classroom and into leadership to become a better advocate for children. Her career has taken her from those dimly lit hallways in Hunts Point to academic administration in Astoria the superintendent's cabinet in South Carolina, and now to regional manager of 10 states for the nation's oldest virtual education company, K12.com. Even now, from her regional perch, Constance's unyielding goal is to be an advocate for underserved families to ensure that equal educational access is granted to all. Welcome, Constance. Thank you. We're we so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. Okay. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm ready. Okay, great. So the first question is, what inspired you to choose educational leadership as a career path?
0: So all of my life, I really thought that I wanted to be, I wanted to work on Wall Street. I wanted to do something with finance um, and be on Wall Street. And actually, I did work on Wall Street for a brief period of time. I worked in the mailroom because I was still in college. Um, and I got a glimpse of it and said, okay. ah, maybe this is not uh, exactly what I wanted to do. Right. And then I, um, I worked my way through college and I was working at, at a small computer company. I was the office manager, but they also taught me programming. So it got to a point where they said to me, you know, you either have to pursue computer science, or you're not going to go further in this position. And I didn't know if that was what I wanted to do. I had a lot of friends in education. And I kind of considered it and thought maybe that was the path for me. So I actually did choose that I went to Mercy College in their urban leadership program, um, got my master's in education and started off as a special education teacher in self contained classrooms. And that's where I really figured out that to really affect changes in the way that I thought I wanted to, I couldn't stay in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I taught for three years there, moved to another school, and then in my fifth year, I started my uh, program in administration to get certified. And I worked as a principal's internship because you had to do, I think, 500 hours mm-hmm. in the internship. And then after that, I just went right into different leadership positions. But I felt like with the special education background, it's really important for a leader, it if it's the principal or whatever title they hold, to have some real knowledge about special education. And what I find in leadership is that most principals don't have that background knowledge. So that has been kind of the fuel to my career to make sure whatever position I'm in, in leadership, that I'm bringing that experience for those at-risk and special education students Mm -hmm. to the table for leadership so they have a better understanding. Because honestly, that really helps the whole school operate well if that program is
1: working well. And you have an interesting perspective. I mean, I'm a special educator as well. Oh, so, yes, yeah, so I see. I also <laughs> see things from a different perspective, right? Right, and that voice is extremely important as an exactly. advocate. So, Definitely. and I'm a parent of a child with special needs, so that's a different layer, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Tell me, um, how would you describe your leadership style?
0: Um, right now, the position that I'm in as regional manager, we often refer to ourselves as servant leaders. Because we don't have direct reports. Now, I have a team of 10 mm-hmm. from D.C. over to Louisiana, but I am not their boss. Now, if you ask them, they'll they'll say or if they introduce me, they'll say, well, this is my boss right. from the regional side. But I'm not. Now, all of our collective goals roll up into the performance goal for the regional team. But again, they're not my direct reports. So I really get in there and kind of coach them along and support them. And, you know, I can look into the program and say, okay, well, Lily, I see that, you know, you're working on this new ELL program. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about the number of students? Have you thought about how long it'll take and kind of give that outside perspective that, again, is going to push that goal for the entire team because all of those metrics play into the performance goal for the region. So, you know, it's it's really working beside them. And the thing that I think is really interesting is when you say to them, hey, do you need somebody to come make phone calls? They'll look at you like, but you're the regional manager. And I go, and, <laughs> you know, nothing's wrong with my hands. I can make a phone call. They're very hesitant because they do look at you as this regional boss, when again, you're really working beside them to help make this team a better team. So I really try to be collaborative and reflective. And again, just working alongside the people that I manage.
1: That's interesting, servant leadership. And I'm, I feel that that type of situation really strengthens your leadership skills as right. well, because right. you have... You you're coaching, which yes. is a completely different thing. Um I mean, You you exactly. spoke about asking questions and <gasps> mm-hmm. to help them and to pull out of them right. what they already right. know and what they know they should do exactly. And so mm-hmm. it's not this top down, which is very interesting. Right. You know, right. which is the usual thing in education. Mm-hmm. Now, now you said you were the regional manager of what company?
0: I'm the regional manager for the southern region of K12.com.
1: Now. Tell me, Constance, which quotes or quote about leadership speaks to you and why? The
0: one that we often said in my last position was inspect what you expect. And, you know, it. <laughs> you learn that probably the hard way most times, right? You have mm-hmm. this team, you're working, especially in, in this position or in the position I had before, which was similar. You're working with a team of adults, you know, they're seasoned in their careers And you say to yourself, well, you know what, we just had a team meeting and there was the goal and go for it. And then two weeks later, when you check in on the goal or you have your deadline, you realize five out of 10 people did what they were supposed to do. And the other five just, you know, didn't meet the deadline. And so I remember my supervisor then saying, well, did you inspect what you expected? And I said to myself, maybe I didn't. And so I had to learn that it's not necessarily micromanagement if you present it a certain way. And again, being, I think, a servant leader, when you set the goal and you say to your team, you know, here are the objectives and steps along the way to meet that goal. And periodically, we're going to check in to make sure that we're meeting those goals and meeting the objectives to lead to the goal. That really doesn't become micromanagement. And what I always try to do with my team was, you know, every week they knew what was coming. Every week on Friday, we would have individual meetings. And these were the things I expected at those meetings. So they knew it. And they knew, you know, don't come to the meeting without it.
1: And if they, <laughs> they did, right. and if they, if they weren't prepared, what would happen?
0: You know, it it would be a conversation about Mm -hmm. if you're not prepared with this, that means you're not prepared for your class. That means your students are not prepared. And overall, Mm -hmm. the team is not prepared if you as the one cog in this wheel are not prepared. And so it took a few, you know, probably a few months to really get them in the habit of on Fridays, I need to come with this data, be ready to talk about these students. Um, And they really started to do that. And so. That really was the epitome of inspecting what I expected, and really getting the team on track to where we needed to be.
1: Sometimes our expectations are our expectations, mm-hmm, and not, mm-hmm. and someone else may read it differently. So that's right, that's right. a wonderful quote. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in my <laughs> on my wall. <laughs> I wonder if it works with family. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, Family and friends. Okay. Right. (laughs) So um, tell me, Constance, what type of leader are you inspired by and why?
0: I'm inspired by leaders who are really humbled by the work that they do, you know, and leaders who are not, like we talked about, leading from way up here and kind of top heavy, but kind of, you know, I guess like Muhammad, they're in there with their people, right? You know, and they're working towards that mission, I, when I started in administration, my principal did whatever it took to get the job done. So he would be in the hallways painting the walls and t-shirts and sweatpants. You know, if he walked down the hallway and the hallway was dirty, he'd stop whatever he was doing, clean things up, you know, and it was never a time when he would say, that's not my job. And I think that is what I have learned. And again, like going back to the other question, when I work with my team, you know, there's nothing that I won't do to help further the team. So if it is making the phone call to a parent or filing some papers in their heads, they may say, well, when you get to the regional position, do you really do that? Of course you do. Because, you know, in order to make a team work, in order to reach a goal, everybody has to be willing to contribute to that team and to those goals. So I think just leaders who are humble, you know, who don't have to throw around titles all day, but you know by the work that they're great leaders.
1: This is wonderful because, you know, when you're valued by other people, right? Right, right. The um, administrator Mm -hmm. that you worked under for a while, when you see how much they value you it, exactly, it just motivates you to do anything and everything right to right. get the job done right, right. Um, and so yeah. I think on on a whole in education, we need to really get that, and I see mm-hmm. that you are certainly so developed in this, and I see how you add value to other people because you've seen right. it you've seen it work, and you know how that feels right
0: exactly and you know so, Lily, one more thing to add to yes. that um. That same administrator before he came to the school, we had had I think three administrators before him, very poor attendance record among the staff. And what stood out for most of us was, and this was in New York, so it was during a snowstorm, probably in I can't remember, let's say maybe 2004 or five, he came. And this is when I was doing my internship. He called me in the morning. He said, get up and go to Dunkin' Donuts and get the staff donuts. And I said, it's a blizzard outside. Why isn't the school closed? And he (laughs) said, it's not closed. We're not in Manhattan. Go get the donuts and get to work. And Lily, I promise you, I went out. I got the donuts. We stood there and we congratulated and applauded every teacher as they walked in the building. It didn't matter if they walked in at 1030. If they made it through the snow, thank you so much for being a dedicated member. Have a donut. Have a great day. And that little appreciation went so far. I mean, they were like, wow, okay, we're really appreciated. And the attendance rate increased dramatically. I knew teachers who said to me, the only reason I come to work this much is because of you guys.
1: Isn't that wonderful? It's powerful. It
0: It really is. And simple things. Very simple things.
1: Okay, and uh, he was right along with you, right? Yeah, Yeah. he
0: he said, if you can't get to work, just call me back and I'll come get you. I'm like, no, I can't. I live down the street.
1: (laughs) Okay, so, you know, speaking of teams, what does it mean to have a good team and how do you build one?
0: And team building, I think, is very challenging, (laughs) you know, but again, I think it goes back to humility. You know, you have to be able to communicate a clear goal for your team. You have to be humble in asking the people to do the work with you. You have to effectively communicate good and bad of the team, you know, and for each person on your team, be able to effectively communicate, you know, you did this really, really well, but I want to talk to you about this one area and how we can work together to improve that area. You know, I've had to do that. I I got into a position with the team that, (laughs) <laughs> they really hadn't had leadership for a long time and they were all over the place. And so and I, and I
1: imagine you got a lot of pushback. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, a lot of criticism to what I was doing and mm-hmm. I had to really look at some of it and, and wade through what is really true. And some of it was true, you know, mm-hmm. and what is just really kind of the negative and the anger and the confusion. And so being able to do that as well, reflecting, asking them for their opinions, having them to build into the team, not just buying into the team, really helped to build that team. And what I tried to do was make sure every member of that team had something to contribute to the team. You know, you couldn't just be an outlier and hang out, you really had to contribute something. And that I think really helped to mesh the team together. Um, The other piece was, and this was something that, you know, I just learned from my previous supervisor, To really hear those people and to celebrate small things. So as we started to have staff meetings, you know, if you got the, if you were the first person there five minutes early, I gave you a gift certificate. And the other folks kind of looked and said, oh, (laughs) should we be on time? (laughs) You know, we like gifts. And so they would do the same thing. So it was little things like that. Just recognizing the smallest things on the team really helped to build the team.
1: Now, you spoke about building into the team versus buying into the team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about the distinction?
0: For me, buying in sounds like it's instantaneous. You're going to, you know, maybe for, let's say for a week, you're really sold. You're really hooked on this product.
1: On your your vision, right? In my vision that, you know,
0: somebody is trying to sell you. And I'm really not trying to sell something, although people may look at it like that, I really want the team to be built into what we are building, mm-hmm. you know, really taking some
1: what skin we're in the game, to right? They have some exactly, skin in the game.
0: exactly. You have some stake in this thing that we are, and again, keyword, building together. And so I think when you Think of it from that way. It's long-term, it's commitment, it's, you know, sticking with something because you don't want to see something that you're building kind of fall apart.
1: Because now they're more invested. Exactly. Now, tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life.
0: I think for me, the greatest challenge, and this may sound very (laughs) cliche, my husband always says, oh, there's a sob story. For me, the greatest challenge was growing up as a woman of color, being poor, and then my parents were poor. And so having to really sort of navigate through that and not necessarily have the leadership roles in front of me that would have given me those role models that I should aspire to. Now, one thing that my parents both did, and they had very limited education, they stressed the importance of education, you know, if they... You could do anything else that you wanted to do, but you better get good grades. That was. I
1: can relate to that. My parents did the exact same thing.
0: Thank God. -hmm. And so that was the most important thing for me to just kind of keep that perspective and always challenge myself. And I think what really challenged me was wanting to be better than my circumstance. You know, it was great. There was a lot of love in my family, but I knew that there had to be something better. And so that kept pushing me and propelling me to always try to do better. I think the key turning point for me that really said, you know what, you've really got to push yourself. I got accepted to Fordham when I graduated from high school. I
1: went to Fordham. Oh, wait. <laughs> we, see? We may have been in the same circles. <laughs> I may be older I, than no, you,
0: though. <laughs> I didn't go, Lily. And that was the thing. I didn't get to go. Oh, okay. Because we didn't have... And, you know, knowing now, there's no such thing as you don't have the finances to go. But at that time... The way my parents thought of it was, well, great that you got in, but you can't go. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, changed my life completely that Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I really have to figure this out and how to really excel and be the best me and live my best life despite any circumstances.
1: Tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you.
0: Um, One of the things I had the the privilege of being was the charter schools program manager in South Carolina, and I ran the charter school department, which meant that I managed the federal grant, which is $5 million, and I oversaw the charter schools throughout the state of South Carolina. Now, South Carolina is an interesting state, (laughs) you know, dating back all the way to its history with the Civil War. You can still find a lot of remnants of that kind of mentality Mm -hmm. in South Carolina. Every year they have an annual charter school conference, as they do in many states. The superintendent at that time was a Republican. But the interesting thing about him was he was an advocate for... Children being able to, all children being able to have every opportunity possible to succeed. And he believed that that didn't necessarily mean college, that it meant learning a trade if you needed to, to get a job. But whatever it was, he wanted every student in the state of South Carolina to be productive. And so it was, you know, it was really interesting, the communities he reached out to. You know, because it was very atypical for mm-hmm. this Republican superintendent to do that. So the day before the conference, actually two days before the conference, he called me to his office and said, you're giving the keynote speech. And I looked at him the like day was, the day before the day before I looked at him like he was crazy. And I was just like, OK, one thing he was former military and my husband's military. So chain of command. Right. I understand that very well. It was not the protocol for him to just call my office and say, Come on upstairs, let's talk. There were, you know, manage, managers in between that I should have gotten approval for and that sort of thing. But I, I went up there and that's what he said. And so those managers in between then had a lot of conversation about can she do it? Is she capable? Is that the best thing? And he said, Hands down, she's going to do it. I went there. And again, you know, being an African American woman in South Carolina, giving this speech to those constituents was very interesting, it was unheard of.
1: Were you a little intimidated?
0: I was, until I got in the room. And when I got in the room and when I saw some of the people and how they, and that's where the the success comes in. When some of those people saw that it was me giving this speech, their entire demeanor changed. And they were so happy to Mm -hmm. see me come in to give that speech. And, you know, I the speech was very interesting. I remember how it started. It talked about my parents growing up without running water and things like that, and education being important. And I think that was something that everybody in that room could relate to, no matter their color, no matter their socioeconomic background. And at the end, I got a standing ovation.
1: Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. I'm the, so proud of you.
0: Thank um, <laughs> you. And the, the assistant superintendent, the minute I walked off the stage, and he was one of the people who was the staunchest advocate against me giving this speech. He was the first person to give me a hug before I could get off the stage. And he said that was the best speech I've ever heard. And so that to me really kind of shifted my trajectory and gave me a lot more confidence in what I was doing as a leader and what I could do for people. And that again has been what I've tried to do. You know, I'm not so caught up in the titles or how I get to doing what I think I should be doing for people. It's just about doing the work for the people. And so that to me solidified that point. And I just, I've been riding the wave ever since.
1: <laughs> you know, Constance, as you're talking, I get goosebumps because I, I picture myself in that moment watching uh-huh. you. That's uh-huh. such a um, great success story because you confronted you. also some anxiety and fears, oh, sure. right? Oh, because sure. we all faced them, especially in a situation, especially a day, right. a day right. before <laughs> A day before, before. you give the greatest speech of your life. Go. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. That's that's so inspiring. (laughs) So tell me, um, you know, oftentimes I get new leaders really expressing concern about their climate in the school um, or the culture that's toxic or negative. What would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about that?
0: You know, and like you said, Lily, I think we've all gone through that. And depending on the organization and especially with special ed as our background, you know, that can often be the place where it's just a mess. Right. And so for new leaders and, and it's so funny because I have a young cousin who just graduated from high school and she's going through the same thing. She's becoming she chose to become a teacher. She has done, I'm sorry, she's graduating from college. She did her student teaching in an urban area and she's already discouraged. And so, you know, what I have to tell new leaders is that change doesn't happen overnight. Slow and steady wins the race. And you're going to face some of that opposition. But what you have to do is be the change that you want to see. You can't get in there and get dismayed by everything that's going on. You really have to stick to whatever your goal is. Make sure that you communicated that to the team and go back to that over and over and over again. Um, And the way that I did that, again, this is something that I learned when I was becoming an administrator. First, you find one ally in that team. Right. And again, you pull out what's best in that that person. You know, you play up that strength. You listen to that person. That person gets you into the rest of the team. They know what's going on. (laughs) They know the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And they'll tell you that if you build that relationship. Once you solidify that relationship, find another ally and that ally might find you because they see what you're doing with this other person. Mm -hmm. And so as you continue to do that, continue to value people, build those relationships You can probably get 90% of the team to work on your side. Now, there's always going to be some outliers who just, for whatever reason, they just, you know, I'm not going to do it or I'll do it because I have to and don't expect anything more. And that's okay. If you are still doing what you need to do to get us to the goal, you know, it's like when you start education and you want to save the world. You're not going to save the world. <laughs> you know, right? And that's the other thing for new leaders. You're not going to save the entire world, but you can make some changes. They may be small changes, but you can definitely make some changes that you can really pinpoint and identify. And I think that is how you have to look at it. Do not get frustrated because the minute you get frustrated, the entire team knows you're frustrated and they go back to being what they were. You have to persevere and just keep your vision in mind.
1: And, you know, it's it's interesting, the quote that you... Um Said that you talked about be the change that you wish to see in the world, Gandhi. <laughs> I, I love that mm-hmm. because it's it speaks to we can be negative about the negativity, right? Right, exactly. And we can get sucked up in that, right? Right. That'll teach you a couple of things how not to be, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> and when sure.
1: yeah, and when you mentioned <laughs> building relationships, what's key and what's important too is to not speak badly about right, right, the negativity. Right.
0: Right, you know, exactly.
1: you can listen, right? Right, but it's important not to speak badly because exactly. that, that reflects on you. You know, exactly. That's really good advice. One of the things that I did as a new administrator mm-hmm. was also I had a coach. Yes, I, and it was a private coach. I it was, I wasn't given a coach. Well, <laughs> I, right, <laughs> I it was a private coach, and, and it could be someone that um, you know who Mm -hmm. can mentor you, you can ask them, can you mentor me? But I was on the phone every single day with that person, because I needed his perspective. I was, you know, it was too much on the inside. So I needed his perspective. And so that helped me navigate the difficult things. And you know, um, there are difficult things that come up. So Constance, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners, right? Mm -hmm. We hear that tossed around a lot, right? Right, On resumes. (laughs) So what does that mean to you and what are you learning now?
0: For me, it means one, learning about whichever company that I'm working for to make sure that I'm learning all about that company. You know, you can get very pigeonholed when you're in one department and you may not see what's going on in other departments. And the great part for me about being a regional manager is you do get to see all those other pieces. Because on the regional team, we have special programs, you have operations, you have um, academic administrators, you have the finance piece. So it's never, I'm going to sit over here in my little world of ELL, and that's what I'm going to focus on. No, you're going to learn about the financial piece and how those budgets are created, you're going to be a part of the academic plan because again, if the special ed piece doesn't work, then you know the entire department doesn't work. And so for me, it's been, even when the trainings are not assigned to me that are about something outside of my department, I will sign myself up for those trainings so I can learn more and more about the company as a whole because I feel like you have to know what's going on with the entire company in order to be a productive part. Same thing with teaching. I never wanted my teachers to know more than I did. And so if they were doing a program, let's say something for reading intervention, I wanted to know about that too. Now, I didn't need to know every aspect of it, but I wanted to have some knowledge so that we could have an intelligent conversation about it because I feel like that's really important. And as a school administrator, it is hard sometimes to, you know, know the math and know the science, and know the social studies. But have, technology
1: as well, exactly, which changes all the time.
0: Exactly. But mm. have some clue about it. You don't have to be the guru, you know, but just know something about it. And so that's lifelong learning for me. And the other piece is, you know, We've been talking a lot about growth mindset and what that looks like, you know, and I know that is a very popular topic now. So that to me is is really important because just like you were just saying about don't feed into the negativity. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a big part of growth mindset. Are you going to look at what you can do or are you going to become stagnant by what you think you can't do?
1: Right. And complain, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, what are you what are you reading that our listeners should read, and why?
0: I read, and this was a while back, so I won't be quoting it. Okay. <laughs> but I read "Fierce Conversations" and "Fierce Leadership," mm-hmm. and it, you know, and it's it it's so simple when you start to look at some of the things in there that you go, oh, okay, well, I should have done that. But it it I read it. Midway through, I've had the books for a long time, but I read it midway through my last position as director. And I'm telling you, like, the next day I would go into, the, <laughs> go into a meeting and go, OK, so I read this last night and this is how I'm going to start this evaluation conversation. Right. But it, it really just gives you, I think, great tips for leadership on how to have those difficult conversations, navigating through some of those things like we talked about when you're a beginning leader how you can sort of navigate through some difficult things and set up some parameters so that your team performs in a certain way.
1: I have that book. I've read that book. It's wonderful because it does teach us to, to communicate it does. directly it makes, yes. with passion, with, right. with empathy, right. you know, with yes. perspective. It's really exactly. a powerful book. Tell me what you do on a regular basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have. Now, you, you work from home currently, and that yes. presents challenges in, in, in and of itself. How do you prepare for the day?
0: I always look the day before what I try to do every day is sort of summarize you know what has happened that day. make sure I know what I need to follow up on the next day. I have more reminders. I wish you could see my desk right now. I see some
1: in the back over there. <laughs> yeah,
0: you see that that's planning right That's the planning. I, that, I have a yeah. desk calendar. I have every, my appointments are set up to my personal cell phone. So they tell me the night before, you know, this is what you're going to have to do in the morning. And, And just really looking through all of that to make sure I am prepared for that day. You know, if it's something major that I need to do that day, really sitting down the night before and sort of working through and getting my head in the right space to be prepared for that meeting the next day.
1: So um, we're almost near the end. I can't believe it. I'm having such a great time here. I know. It's a wonderful (laughs) conversation. (laughs) So, Okay. So many educational leaders put in long hours. What advice would you give them about maintaining balance in their lives? Mm -hmm. And do you use any particular app or technology that's helpful in managing projects or schedules?
0: I think you really have to know that you need the balance. A lot of leaders, like you said, we throw ourselves headfirst into the career and we'll work these long hours and we don't realize that we do need that balance. You know, some of us are so focused and I work with some of those type A leaders right now and they're so focused on, well, I have to do this and I have to do everything. You don't have to do everything. There's time to get things done and you have to put those in perspective For me, having a family, I definitely have to put that in perspective. And one thing I do is make sure that they're incorporated into what I'm doing. So I'll say to my daughter, you know, if it's now like summertime, I have a conference call from one to two. I need to take that call. And she knows from one to two, you need to go and do whatever you do independently and not bother me between those hours. But on the flip side, she knows that at 4.05, it's her time. Mm-hmm. And so, even building in small blocks, and that's what I've always tried to do, just building those small blocks. you know if you have a thirty minute lunch break, take it and go have lunch with your kid or your family if you are a parent and need to do that um or if not, take those thirty minutes and maybe you don't want to eat lunch, but take some time, walk around, clear your head. you have to have those built in breaks. It's just like we tell parents and teachers, you know, with their students. They need built in breaks. We need the same as well. As far as organization, like you said, you know, back there, you can see the planning tools that's helping me set up for um, the year. I use my calendar. I use my outlook um, calendar to just kind of remind me of things in advance. And I really try to sit down on Fridays and look through the week you know, what's going on and figure out where are those spaces that I can fit in some personal time, you have to have some outlet, whatever it may be, you know, if you're a hiker, you need to go hiking, some physical
1: activity to stimulate the brain. Definitely
0: physical activity, you know, have that. um, And take care of yourself. One thing that we've always said in the groups that I've worked with is taking care of the caretaker. So as a leader, you are the caretaker for your team. And if you are not in the best health, whatever that may mean, you know, mentally, physically, all of the above, your team is not going to be in the best shape. So really just keeping that in mind as you're doing your day. And and the other piece is, you know, as a leader and as you get more confident, learn to delegate. Mm-hmm. You can't do everything. You just can't. Right. So you have to really articulate that vision Make sure the team understands and then start to delegate those things so you can maintain that balance or you're gonna drive yourself crazy. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you know, delegating it's interesting. Delegating doesn't mean that you're weak in that area. It means that you're smart. Exactly. You're you're working smarter because you're tapping into I, mm-hmm. the talent
0: right, that is right.
1: before you. Constance, it, it you triggered a question that I had. Um sure. now I know that Currently, you don't report to anyone, but do you have a coach or a mentor who helps you maintain uh, or or hold you accountable to who you are and your growth as a leader?
0: Sure. And actually, the the way that my position is set up is very interesting. So I directly report to the vice president, Mm -hmm. one of the vice presidents of the company, and then... I also, because I'm in special programs, I'm attached to the national special programs team. And so what we do is every Friday, the members of that national team, we get together and we talk about, you know, what's going on in your region? What have your teachers or your leaders been doing? How's it going? What's the best practice? Just yesterday, I got a message from the Western region leader and she wanted to know about co-teaching. You know, she sent out a message, who's doing co-teaching well? And I said, well, you know, <laughs>
1: I have good a Good question.
0: <laughs> right. And I have a school and it's very focused in certain grades, but they are a good model. And she said, well, can you and your team hop on a call with the rest of us to talk about what that looks like, the ups and downs? So we have that team of folks. And then as well, outside of work, you know, I have Bola. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we have sort of a partnership network, a couple of us, and we really get together weekly and just talk through things that are happening in education, talk through what's happening in our jobs, talk through the goals that we have. And so that really kind of helps me stay focused on who I am and what I need to be getting done.
1: Yeah. So Bola Disu is is also someone who I have interviewed and she's one of our coaches as well. (laughs) So our last question. Yes. (laughs) So if you can go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
0: I think I would probably tell the younger me to do what I believe in my heart I wanted to do. And I think that kind of goes back to the acceptance at Fordham. Originally, I wanted to be a lawyer, those sorts of things. I would say that if you persevere, You can achieve what you believe you can achieve.
1: Okay. Okay. And with that said, Constance, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners.
0: Thank you, Lily. I appreciate it. This was wonderful.
1: Yay. Have a great day. Thank you. You do the same. Hello leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.